this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK show on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. On the Relax Back UK show we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. Hi, and thank you for joining me, Mike Dilt, with the Relax Back UK show. On this week's show, two ways to help us breathe cleaner air. First of all, I talk all things e-scooters and micromobility with Steve, Steve Pyre of Spin. Sort of between 7 and 9am in the morning, we actually see spikes. Okay. So people are clearly starting to use these for commuters. It seems that people are changing their commuting habits and using e-scooters to get to work as well as just zooming about and having some fun. Then it's helping people stopping smoking through use of vaping. In, in the UK, you're looking at roughly around about 7 million people that are still currently smoking. <clears throat> now, 3.5 million um, have converted over the last 10 years to vaping. Um, some full-time, some, uh, some still partly smoking, partly vaping. I chat with Louise Ross from Smoke Free and John Dunn, he's a rep from the vaping industry, about switching from smoking to vaping. And then vaping questions such as the possible unknowns about it and the current marketing of vaping. So please do join me for a great show. Thank you. Before we hear about e-scooters and micro-mobility, we have this from UK Health Radio. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. How good are vitamin C supplements? Usually only a small proportion of vitamin C actually reaches your cells and has a positive effect. Whereas the high absorption levels of Goldman Laboratories liposomal vitamin C help maintain optimal vitamin C levels in your body and strengthen your immune system. Now get 10% off when you choose Goldman Laboratories liposomal vitamin C capsules. Just quote 10 off at goldmanlaboratories.com. Do you suffer from pain? B-Cure Laser, a home-use CE-approved medical device for the effective treatment of pain, is now available in the UK. The results of a double-blind trial has shown that B-Cure Laser offers a significant reduction in pain compared to the placebo group. To get your special B-Cure offer now, call free on 0808 501 5122 or Google Radio Pro London. B-Cure Laser. The station that makes you feel good. Well, I've had enough of all the talk of spin in politics just now, so I was relieved to hear that my first guest, Steve Pyre of Spin, is not from a political lobbying company. He wants to get us all whizzing about on electric scooters. So my first question to him was just, how are you going to do that? Yes, the easiest way is we, we work with councils across the UK. So we're working all across Essex um, with Chelmsford, Colchester, Basildon and Clacton. Um, and we're working in Milton Keynes. Um, what we do is we have permission from them to deploy our scooters on the ground. And we look for the, the, the optimal places to put them, like outside a train station when you've got commuters, for example, is the really obvious place. Yeah. Um, and the idea is they're very simple to use. It's just done through a phone app. 
people come out of the train station, see them there. That's a, an amazing advert and they, they kind of get very interested and download the app and have a go. So I think deployment is very good for us, putting them in the right spots so that it's just front of people's mind when they want one. Yeah, OK. So which brings on to the first topic very nicely that I'm keen to talk about is have you noticed, do you think this will result in sort of a change in our commuting habits? And have you seen the ones that you rent out sort of been used at commuting time more than at other times? We have actually. So we've seen a big change. We launched in August 2020 in Milton Keynes and then in December, uh, a very cold and windy December day in Basildon in 2020. Um, and our sort of general user profile was it was quite low in the morning and then it ramped up to sort of about 4 or 5 p.m. was when we got peak usage in the day. But it was quite a flat line going up. Um, but recently, I'd say in the last three or four months, we've seen a lot more spikes in the morning. So sort of between 7 and 9 a.m. in the morning, we actually see spikes. Okay. So people are clearly starting to use these for commuters. All right. Um, which is good. And that's creating some problems like train stations in Chelmsford, for example, is very busy for us. So we have to go and visit it and make sure that the scooters are cleaned up and tidied up um, because we're starting to get lots of traffic there in the morning, which, which yeah. is great. Well, I suppose as as problems go, that's a good one to have. Yes, it's, it's just uh, we just have to evolve our operations. It's, it's a good one to have, as you say. Yeah. All right. So here's a question for you around commuting. This is probably very difficult to answer. I'll ask it anyway. Do as far as the commuting habits, do you think people might do their whole commute on an e-scooter or the last bit? So they sort of get into town by train and then rent on rent the e-scooter to do the last bit of the journey to the office or wherever they're going. I think the, the common phrase here is last mile. Um, micromobility is generally used for that last leg. So you'd still use trains and buses for the big longer commutes. Um, and then that last bit from, say, central transit node, like a train station or a bus station, uh, would be done on an e-scooter or an e-bike, that sort of thing. OK. The reason I asked that question was because with, with COVID, you know, which is still with us very, very much so, um, some people are a, a little reticent about getting on crowded buses and trains. So I was thinking maybe if their commute is a couple of miles on the bus, they might think, well, OK, forget that. I'll just rent an e-scooter and off I go. I think so e-scooters traditionally sort of replace one or two mile journeys. Right. If you want to go a bit further, generally you get to bikes up to three miles and then e-bikes typically are up to five mile journeys because, well, they're a lot simpler yeah. uh, and less energy using. Um, but what, I mean, we did some a survey recently just to see about people's habits and what they're using the scooters for. And there was one, one that stuck out was the guy said he would normally have either got the bus all the way into town where he works he then started driving into town where he works, but he was paying over four pounds a day for parking um, or an hour, I think he said, actually. So what he does is he drives to the outskirts of town where we've got some of our e-scooters in a car park that's very cheap. And then he'll scoot the last, I don't know, 15 minutes to his workplace. So it was just sort of ending the journey, but that still keeps traffic out of that central area. Absolutely. So benefit. And saves him a ton of money. So what does it cost, actually, to uh, use your scooters? We've got various tariffs. So I mean, we have a pay-as-you-go model, um, which is 20 pence per minute in Essex. But then we've got various uh, pricing 20 mechanisms. 20p a minute? Yes. Okay, that strikes me as quite a lot of money. Like, it's, you know, if, if you want to have a bit of fun and go off for an hour's ride, it's going to uh, add up. Our typical journey is only just over about 13 minutes is our typical journey. Okay. So realistically, that's only, oh, quick maths, I'm not very good at, £2.60 for a journey. Oh. 
Um, but we then got sort of hourly passes. So five pounds will get you a whole hour of use. You can have as many rides as you like in that time or weekly or monthly passes. So if you're a regular user, um, there's a lot more incentive to be able to use them. OK. All right. Um, I'm intrigued because I, in a past life, I I'm, uh, I'm, was a civil engineer and I, I used to um, you know, deal with people that design you know, roads and the use of roads and we'll talk about transport and that sort of thing. Is there any data on uh, average speed in traveling in you know large cities you know if you if you're going by the bus or you're walking or going by car or you're going on an e-scooter you know it, i mean it's a difficult question I, I do get it that it's quite a, probably quite a complicated answer but is there any data uh, on that sort of thing well, in terms of car traffic, it's not my data, but uh, the latest data I think I've seen is uh, from 2017 shows that in the city of London, the average is about eight miles an hour. Right. Um, and our e-scooters, whilst the law says that they can go 15 and a half miles an hour, which is the same as an e-bike, uh, we've actually restricted it uh, across Essex to 12 miles an hour. But so that's still significantly faster than a car. And I think in some areas you often find that going by bike or by e-scooter is quicker than getting in a car and of course you've then got to find a place to park at the end you then yeah. got to pay for the parking so you know if you do the whole end-to-end journey uh e-scooters micro mobility is, is coming out better yeah and that's before you've even thought about the pollution you know the pollution of your engine running in a traffic jam of course. Um, and the scooters we've got, obviously, they're electric, so there's zero tailpipe emissions. And then we, we've also got a fleet of electric vehicles that move them around where we need to sort of optimise their locations and bring them back for repair. Um, and then all of our electricity that we charge them with comes from octopus energy, which is uh, renewable sources. So, you know, we, we try and do as much as we can to make zero emissions a reality, not just zero tailpipe emissions. Excellent. So, I mean, it's good for people's time, but it's always good. It's also good for people's soul because I actually I know, I love nothing more than whizzing past a traffic jam somehow or other and sort of waving at all the people sat there. And um, and I, I think you've you've done, which is probably more of a comment on me than anything else, really. Sort of what a nasty oh, individual you, I am. But and <laughs> I I think you've probably you've done some work on the actual mental health of people using scooters. Is that right? It is. Yeah. So we polled a thousand of our users uh, across the UK and asked various questions on their health and sort of the aspects of e-scooting, what it did to them. Um, and it, it was actually really, really positive. I mean, there's quite a lot of research into cycling and, and the mental and physical benefits that that can do. Um, but 74 percent of the people came back to us and said that they felt less stressed after an e-scooter trip. Um, 85 percent said that they feel a lot more relaxed afterwards. Um, so some really clear data. I mean, a thousand people is quite a good sample size. And, and from my own perspective, like if I ever travel into London, I jump on a Boris bike and I feel so much happier when I get to the other end. Um, yeah. It just, yeah, it, it, you get to see a lot more of the city. You get to breathe kind of semi-fresh air, I guess, um, depending on where you're using the bike. Well, you're not contributing to the, for the air to be any worse. So that's that's probably a plus in most people's minds. Exactly. So, yeah, so I mean, it's not it's really good to get some clear data that people are definitely feeling mentally better having used our scooters. Uh, and it's not just cycling that does that, but the e-scooters can contribute to it too. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I think I get that. I think I understand that. Um, one thing that I have noticed, because these things are getting a lot more popular. I see people whizzing around them. I, I live in St. Albans, just north of London, and I do see quite a few people whizzing around on them. 
and you know enjoying it obviously but i think they're potentially breaking the law what's actually the current law in in the uk of use of e-scooters well so e-scooters have been and still are i guess illegal uh to use but effectively they're classed as a motor vehicle because there is no other mechanism in law to class an e-scooter because i guess when the law was drafted they didn't exist so by some quirk of law they're not allowed to be used on the uk's roads because you can't insure them um you can't get an mot on them like you have to for an ordinary motor vehicle so how are you getting away with it then <laughs> oh that's clever no uh, the dft as i mean they did have four future mobility zones that they were trialing different areas so they put in temporary uh road traffic orders to allow them and then the whole pandemic hit and as you mentioned earlier the, the big fear from cities was as soon as people were able to go back to work a bit nobody would jump on a bus or a train they'd all drive in their cars and they'd be gridlocked so they opened up e-scooter trials across the country and any city that wanted to trial it uh, could apply to the dft to get that uh, temporary road order so what that means is as long as the dft have approved you as an operator and spin are approved as an operator they then look at your vehicle and make sure that that meets all of their, their criteria for uh, safety the right lighting reflectors that kind of thing and um, once all that's approved, you can then apply to a city to launch there. Um, so it's kind of a, a trial, I guess, is what they're calling it. Um, right. And it's a temporary road orders to allow them. So e-scooters are only allowed to be used on the public highway in the UK um, if they are part of a government recognised trial. Um, right. And I guess the difficulty is that it's not illegal to buy or sell an e-scooter. So you can go into pretty much any high street store and buy an e-scooter. Um, but you're not allowed to use it on the public highway because it is classed as a motor vehicle. Okay, now I get it. Do you, I mean, do you think that's likely to change? I do. Uh, I mean, the, the government are consulting. That's that's what these trials are about. The DFT is getting lots and lots of data from all operators, and and every month, Spin has to complete a, a big data form on how they're being used, where they're being used, the trip lengths, you know, everything you can imagine. And that's going into some very clever people at the DFT that are putting this together to work out what legislation should look like when it's enacted. Okay. Um, so one of the things that it might cover, and we did speak about this uh, last time, is if, if you're riding a bike or an electric bike, um, it's relatively easy to signal. I mean, you've got to cycle for a time with, with one hand. But signaling on an e-bike is a bit harder, isn't it? Because I think riding an e-scooter, an e, um, an e um, if you're on an e-scooter, it's a little bit harder to signal with your hand because actually driving the thing safely with only one hand on the bars is a bit harder. What what's the what's the thinking on that? Is there is there a way to indicate what's the, the plan? I think uh, the DFT's rules I think are probably going to change sometime next year to make sure that all e-scooters have indicators on. And the right. next generation of e-scooters, I mean, these things evolve pretty quickly. They've got a nine-month cycle from. What are we going to do to, to actually having them on the on the ground? So I think most e-scooters will come with indicators on them in the future. OK, so that'll be just like a, a switch that is on the handlebars. And that's the yeah. way it'll work. Yeah. So you can press it with your thumbs, whether it's left or right, without um, having to take your hand off. So yeah, I, okay. I think that's the way it's going to go. Because right. I, I have seen people indicating with their legs, uh, like standing on one leg and indicating, which is probably a lot easier and safer to do than taking a hand off. Uh, I mean, Couldn't possibly comment. You know, <laughs> exactly. I mean, the way I do it, if I'm turning left, then you know it, it's easier just to turn left, and you can watch out for other road traffic. If I want to turn right, I'll generally pull over to the left and wait for it to be clear before I go. Right. Okay. Um, 
Right, so watch, watch this space. We'll see how that evolves. Um, yeah. Um, I've got another question about where they're likely to be used, because I've got an idea that they're, they're used uh, in university campuses on, in the States a fair bit. And it, it strikes me as a really sensible way of getting around, because if it's a large campus, and usually, you know, there's not a lot of traffic, you know, there's not really any cars in these, these places. So getting around on a, an e-scooter just seems like a very sensible way to do it and you know you might be le late for lectures slightly less often <laughs> late for lectures because of your e-scooter um so yeah we, we no you'll be on time because you're getting there fast oh sorry i see what you mean yeah of course uh, except you'll be enjoying it so much you probably take a, a, a detour oh there's that yeah our us campus schemes are really popular actually they, they do work well and we are working with uh sort of some of the universities especially in essex um, because we have an offer of 50% off all of our rides for students. If you okay. sign up your student email address, uh, nice little plug there. Sorry, Mike. Um, That's all right. But um, I, I guess the, the difference is, you know, you go to a campus in America and they're like, you know, they're probably the size of Colchester. They're huge. Um, whereas the campuses over here generally are multi-site. So you've got to go across town anyway. Um, and you probably you could probably walk across one end to the other in five minutes anyway. So not quite as good a use case. But integrated into a city's e-scooter scheme, absolutely, you know, you can connect uh, halls of residence or big areas where students live or even multi-site areas, you can connect them with using e-scooters. So that is something that we're working with universities on. OK, that, that sounds uh, interesting. What else for the future? OK, you mentioned the university thing there. How's, how's it going to go in the next year or two? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I am specialising in unfair questions, I, I, I get, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, a year or two, you know, I, I don't really know if that's going to be enough time to evolve massively with legislation. But the way I'd like to see it, you know, certainly in the shorter term, less than five years is e-scooters and e-bikes, because Spin have got our e-bikes coming out very soon, um, are kind of brought into a, a city transport ecosystem. So mobility hubs are the term of the moment. Uh, somebody can get to a train station and when they walk out, there could be a car club there that they can hire using their phone, uh, an e-bike, an e-cargo bike or an e-scooter. And depending on your use case at that time, you know, if it's a lovely sunny day, you're on your own, you've got a backpack, you might just jump on a scooter because it's quick and easy mm -hmm. um, and fun. If you've got a couple of kids in tow and it's raining, you might jump in a little electric car as part of that mobility hub. So I'd love to see e-scooters and e-bikes, micromobility, part of a, a whole city transport ecosystem and actually subsidised by the city as well. So the city have a sort of some skin in the game, like buses and trains are heavily subsidised by every city they're in. Otherwise, they'd be unaffordable. Um, so I'd love to see that because e-scooters are, you know, they're, they're fantastic, but they're not for everybody. Not everybody wants to use them. Um, so that's just one small part of the puzzle. And then... Okay. You've asked a question. I'm going off on random tangents now. Uh, I'd love to see sort of uh, rural schemes built in as well. So lots of, uh, I mean, Essex is a great example. It's a very rural uh, county, lots of small villages. I'd love to see e-bikes and e-scooters connecting those villages to local shops, to local towns, train stations. Um, I think that would that would be brilliant. But again, that needs investment because uh, you're not going to get the revenue from users because they're not going to be used that often. No, no, I get um, it. That, so are you in dialogue with transport planners and the, these kind of people to just think about the future and also to some extent look at the the, the technicalities of whether e-scooters can mix with pedestrians or could or should mix with pedestrians and could or should mix with bikes and um, how to keep 
those sorts of transport as far away as possible from cars and indeed is that feasible you know that that sort of stuff so i mean we are we speak to we have regular dialogue with the cities we're working in we speak to essex highways quite a lot for example um about where we can and can't use them and the good thing about the e-scooters is that they are geofenced we've got gps trackers on them so we can block certain areas off where they're not usable we can make them slow down in sort of areas where bikes and scooters can share with pedestrians but it's quite heavy footfall we can slow the speed down so outside milton Keynes state train station for example massive massive area uh, really good for micro mobility but there's more and more traffic coming in more and more people are getting off trains and going to work so we've slowed that down in that whole area to 10 miles an hour. So, so it's that sophisticated. You, you can say these things will go a certain speed in a certain part of the city. Yes. Yes. Um, wow. we, we, we can put that down to street level. I mean, it's as good as the GPS, which is sort of three to five metres out. So not pinpoint accuracy. Uh, to get that, you probably need some government level guided missile technology. Um, <laughs> But, but it's it's good enough. And and some of our next generation scooters are coming out with, we've got cameras on the front of them uh, by a company called Drover. Um, and that's got sort of a, some artificial intelligence in that learns the pavements, learns the roads. So if you do start going on a pavement, which you know you shouldn't do, you're not allowed to use them there. It will recognise that and it will start telling you you're not allowed on this pavement and it will slow the scooter down until you go back into a recognisable area where you're allowed to scoot again. So oh, wow. we've got technology to do that. Um, but you know, from a city perspective, it's quite difficult to put in segregated infrastructure. And look at Colchester; it's grown up from Roman times. Yes, cars weren't invented there. The, the pavements are very small. Uh, if you really want to make segregated cycle lanes and e-scooter lanes, you're probably going to have to get rid of car parking on the street, make one-way streets um, to to reduce the space for cars. And that, I mean, that's not an overnight thing. It a costs money. B it's a very emotive subject, uh, yes. taking our space away. Um, so it's not going to be a quick fix. No, no, I, I get that. There's a, there's a lot more to it. In in general terms, you, you spoke about different uh, road users there. Um, do cyclists get on with scooterists? Is that the right term even, scooterist? Scooterist. Uh, I think it now is the right term. I've never heard of it, but I quite like it. <laughs> um, from... From what I've heard, yeah, most cyclists and e-scooter people get on. Um, another one of our surveys that we did was, you know, what what would you have done if you didn't have an e-scooter? Um, yeah. And only six percent of people said they would have used a bike. So we're not, you know, there are they are a different demographic. They are different people using them. Yeah. Um, like I said earlier, some people will love scooters, some people won't. Some people love cycling, some people hate cycling. Sure. Uh, and you know, it's just horses for courses. God, I haven't yeah. said that phrase in a long time. Um, <laughs> Let's keep the horses out of it. That would be too complicated. Ah, oh, shared horse uh, transport. I like that. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, generally they do get on well. I mean, yeah, they're very similar type of user. They're they're out and about on the street. They're not using their cars. It's eco friendly. It's good for your health. Um, so generally they get on well. It, it really does seem to me that for transport, certainly in cities, but maybe elsewhere, as you suggested, this type of transport has got to be the, the way ahead. And uh, if, if people are listening and think in a similar way to me and want to find out a bit more or have a go um, themselves, what can they do, Steve? Where, where's a good uh, information resource? Um, I'm assuming you've got a good website, but, you know, tell us. Yeah, I mean, our website is definitely the place to go. First of all, it's spin.pm, as in Prime Minister. 
Um, you can get lots of resource from that, or you can download our apps. Uh, just look for Spin uh, Mobility, and you'll be able to find our apps on the app stores. Excellent. Right. I think this is going to be the way ahead. That was a very interesting chat. So, Steve, many thanks. Thank you, Mike. Really good to speak to you again. Thank you very much. Before the next section of the Relax Back UK show, we have some more messages from UK Health Radio. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Scalar light is the quantum energy emitted from the universe from the sun and stars. Now, Tom Palladino, a humanitarian and scalar light researcher, has created the world's only scalar light healing system, a system that can bring long-distance healing and wellness to humans, pets, and plants via a photograph. Get your free 15-day trial now at scalarlight.com or click on the Scalar Light banner on the UK Health Radio website. Shields like masks are top of mind right now. But did you know you have inner armor working constantly to protect you from pathogens? It keeps you healthy and thriving. It's your immune system. Ion Gut triggers the body's natural ability to support gut strength all year long, so your immune system can protect you when you need it the most. How are you treating your inner armor? Visit uk.ionbiome.com to learn more. Ion Gut. Protect what protects you. The station that makes you feel good. For the next topic on vaping and giving up smoking, the guests are Louise Ross from Smoke Free. That's an app to help people stop smoking. And John Dunn, he's Director General of the UKVIA. So actually my first question was, what is the UKVIA? Well, the UKVIA is the UK Vaping Industry Association. So we represent manufacturers, distributors, retailers um, of vaping products here in the UK. Okay, so you're, you're kind of the vaping industry spokesman uh, for this chat. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, good. All right, so there's a national campaign, which I think you're, you guys are keen to uh, chat about, uh, which is being used, I nearly said pushed, I'm not sure that would have been quite the right term, by NH Trusts, because obviously they're very keen to get people to uh, give up smoking. So tell, tell us about this campaign to uh, help people stop smoking. Either of you, maybe Louise first. Well, I, I, it's, it's John started it, so I think uh, he's the best person to speak about this, and I can come in about the digital side of things. Okay, right, Absolutely. go ahead then, John. Absolutely. Well, I think this is a great partnership between ourselves and Smoke Free App. Um, the Smoke Free App is the most successful uh, stop smoking um, app in the world. Um, and we thought that it would be a perfect fit for uh, the advice that our members and our organization can give. And then obviously having a support mechanism uh, that uh, people switching to vaping products could use was the perfect fit. So what we've done is we've reached out to over 200 NHS trusts over the last couple of days. We've put together a package of support for them, including various documents looking at uh, smoking versus uh, vaping versus a smoking guide, um, a guide for vaping to quit smoking, um, and also, we're uh, obviously talking on shows like yours today 
to really get that message out there to uh, NHS trusts and, and to smokers that uh, there is the support out there for them uh, to make a successful switch. Okay, so how, how does the app tie in with all this? The app is a, a really helpful way of, of giving people extra support to stop smoking. Because very often when, when people begin their quit attempt, you know, they, they might have thought, really, you know, I've, I've got to this age and I really should do something about my smoking. But they don't necessarily know the best way of going about it. So we take uh, all the best evidence from um, our National Training Centre on um, smoking cessation and apply that to, uh, you know, both the automated features, the uh, and the, the live advice from advisors uh, on, on how to manage that, that quick journey. Because it's a process. It's not something that, that people just do overnight. Um, you know, some lucky people, I suppose, may just decide to stop and, and it doesn't give them any more trouble. But most people really struggle, especially in those early weeks. So the app well, 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 nicotine them. is extremely addictive, isn't it? So, yeah, it's a, giving up smoking is, ain't easy. Well, it's interesting that it's it's not so much the nicotine, it's the whole business of smoking. So everything from unwrapping the packet, you know, taking that first one out, the, the feel of it in your mouth, the feel of it in your hands, the whole experience, uh, you know, creates extra dependence um, that people don't get addicted to nicotine in patches or gum lozenges. And we found well, in my... Sorry. There was a bit of a delay there. I, I interrupted you and asked if you were an ex-smoker. Oh, sorry, I didn't hear that. Uh, yes, I, I used to smoke. Um, I, I started when I was about 30, ridiculously, and uh, stopped smoking when I was about 50. Good, right. So, you, you know, you, you, you are... You, you know how difficult or some of the issues involved here, so for sure. I, I do. I remember those first few weeks being extremely hard, uh, but I was absolutely determined not to, uh, not to relapse, not to go back. Good. All right. So do, does the app kind of give you, I don't know, hourly prompts to, or well dones for not smoking? Or, you know, how, how does it actually, how do, how do you engage with it? Yeah. Um, having downloaded it from the app store, uh, you put in your details, you know, uh, age and, and the rest of it, how much you smoke. And it gives you minute by minute um, progress indicators. So how long you've been smoke free for, how much money you've saved, uh, you have the health benefits and how many cigarettes you haven't smoked. So just that alone helps motivate people so they can see at the end of the first three days for instance that they might have you know not smoked 60 cigarettes and their their pulse is already returning to what a normal pulse rate should be for somebody of their age but there's right. live advisors who they can ask questions to and that's how it links so well with this particular initiative that all my advisors on the app know about vaping they understand it and they will give people the best information about how to uh, switch from smoking a combustible cigarette to using a vape to get their nicotine from. Right. Okay. So, is is there actual, um, I guess, scientific proof that vaping does help you in the process of stopping smoking? Yes, there is. Um, I was involved in one of the randomised control trials uh, that was uh, it was a multi-site trial. Leicester was one of them, and we 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 chose. Um, well, we, we invited people to join the study and they could either be randomized to vaping 
or nicotine replacement therapy. And a year later, it was very clear that the people who were vape who switched with vaping were much more likely to still be ex-smokers and uh, and their health was very good as well they, they didn't have coughs colds quite as much as as the ones who used nrt um and and the, their their own feedback was very positive they would say that um using a vape was very very uh, successful they felt comfortable with it um, they, 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 they felt their health had improved enormously. And for some of them, it was the first time they'd actually managed to go smoke free for more than a few days. But let me ask you a general question. What, what about the numbers of people, well, in, in the UK, uh, rather than worldwide, I guess, that still smoke? How many people, how many of us actually smoke cigarettes still? In, in the UK, you're looking at roughly around about 7 million people that are still currently smoking. <clears throat> now, 3.5 million um, have converted over the last 10 years to vaping, um, some full-time, some, uh, some still partly smoking, partly vaping. Um, and that's, that's steadily grown. So we've seen about a 7% um, increase in the use in, uh, of e-cigarettes in 2021, which is, which is quite encouraging. Yeah. So, so the the numbers of people smoking cigarettes is is going down. Correct. It's it's been going down for a number of years. Um, now it does go through, <clears throat> excuse me, time periods where it stagnates a little bit, and then you know it it it's it spurred along by some you know good media stories, for instance, um, <clears throat> or some good support like Stoptober, for instance. Um, you know, kind of reignites that switch over. Right. Okay. So that, that that's that you know that that's got to be a really good thing. The amount of smokers going down, um, but the amount of vape people that vape going up. And there are some unknowns around uh, vaping, uh, aren't aren't there? So perhaps sort of you could explain some of the potential uh, difficulties or indeed uh, dangers and the unknowns of of, uh, of vaping. I think it's more important to concentrate on the the known benefits. Um, and, you know, I, I hear people say sometimes, oh, you know, in, in, in 30 years, you know, we, we could see some adverse event. We, we'd have seen them by now if that was going to happen. And in fact, the people who are smoking can't wait 30 years. Their, their life is uh, under threat now from their smoking habit. And, you know, just like we said with the COVID vaccine, this is an emergency. We need to get this out to the general population because it will save lives. The same can be applied to vaping. Uh, it does save lives. Uh, it will improve people's health because they won't be taking the smoke, uh, which contains the carbon monoxide and the tar. There's none of that in a vape. And it's the tar and the carbon monoxide that cause the cancers, the respiratory disease and the heart disease. Yeah, I, I'm not convinced that's what Cancer Research UK say, actually. I mean, they've launched a grand challenge to determine the effects on, on vaping. And they, they say that, you know, it's not risk free. I mean, you know, and they're, they're pretty serious about uh, trying to stop cancer, I'd suggest. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. It's not risk free, but it's a fraction of the risk of smoking. So if people aren't ready to actually just stop everything, an alternative that is much, much less harmful is, is really important to get them onto. And in fact, Cancer Research UK does support uh, vaping. There's uh, an excellent podcast on um, 
uh, on the CRUK website by uh, Professor Linda Bald uh, talking to Dr. Richard Roop. And they're saying that, you know, everything must be done to get GPs to understand that, that vaping is a very um, viable alternative to smoking that uh, will protect people's health. They do, but they're, they're also giving large grants to uh, research the potential uh, dangers. Uh, and benefits. That, that's, that's a fact. And, and, and benefits, of course. And, they, and they, it does help people quit. Uh, but it's still worth, I think, just saying that they, they do contain nicotine. And, you know, nicotine is, is, is quite addictive for sure. Nicotine on its own is, um, is um, assessed to be about as harmful as caffeine in a coffee. And, you know, there's plenty of people that confess to being caffeine addicts. Um, we, we know that people tend not to get addicted to nicotine patches. They, they come off their patches quite easily. In my service, when we were giving out free vapes to people who wanted to stop smoking, uh, people always uh, reduce their their the strength of the nicotine in their vapes very easily. They never went from, from weak to strong. They go from strong to weak and then, you know, maybe either stop vaping completely or um, go on to a, 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 a very low maintenance dose just to make sure they didn't go back to smoking. Okay. Yeah, I think, um, I think what's important to add here as well is <clears throat> there's very little in life, <clears throat> excuse me, that we do that is 100% risk-free. And what's important here is to note that, you know, Public Health England have looked at this uh, consistently over the last five years, and they continue to reiterate that, in their opinion, uh, vaping is at least 95% less harmful than smoking cigarettes. And, and while, you know, ideally, um, you know, giving up completely is the best thing that you can do for millions of smokers, that's just not an option. Yeah, 95% less harmful does sound very good. But, uh, you know, you, you, I mean, that's almost sounds like the difference between being hit by a bus or hit by a car, you know, because smoking cigarettes is so disastrous for you. 95% less is, you know, still pretty bad, I'd suggest. But anyway, I, I don't think there's any question that um, vaping is less harmful than uh, smoking cigarettes. I don't, I don't think we can... Uh, <sighs> really argue that fact and it's probably very helpful for helping people give up uh, smoking cigarettes as, as well but just actually a question to John you were talking about the numbers of people that, that vape um, earlier and I, I, I missed the number but it was it was quite large wasn't it you were talking about the increase yeah, you're looking. You're looking roughly about 3.6 million people um, vaping in the UK currently, and that's increased by 7.1 percent in 2021. Right. So, as your director general of the kind of vaping industry smoke spokesman, it's actually said in the press release you're responsible for long term the long term growth strategy uh, for the UK vaping industry association. The sounds this must be music to your ears. Um, I, I, and I, I was just kind of thinking about this. Presumably your target market is pe if people giving up smoking, they're kind of grizzled old smokers. Not to say that Louise looks old, although she was 50 when, when she gave up. But you know what I mean. And um, if I was doing this, my name for these things would be kind of dull product, the grizzled old smokers. But I must admit, I, I, I had a little look at some websites before we chatted. And I looked at some of the flavours for these things, uh, apple, 
banana, drink and cocktail. You know, this this is not aimed at grizzled old smokers, is it? These, these really look like that aimed at children and young people to me, aren't they? Well, well I, I disagree with you on that point. You know, first of all, I'm 55 years of age. I used to, I was a former smoker myself. I smoked three packs a day. Um, and I enjoy Haribo and uh, and Coca-Cola fizzy pops. So, you know, to, to say things with flavors are aimed towards young people is, is, is really kind of spurious. Um, you know, if you look at things uh, like alcohol, for instance, um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of gin and I've probably got about 60 different flavors of gin <laughs> sitting in my house at the moment. Um, you know, flavors make things interesting. They make things pleasurable. And I think that's one of the reasons why vaping has been so successful is that it really focuses uh, smokers away from the thought of being a smoker. So, if you know, if you look at uh, somebody who's vaping a tobacco uh, flavored liquid, to me, all that's doing is reinforcing them uh, in their mind that they were a smoker. Um, but if their taste is, is moving into different, uh, different flavors, um, that really kind of takes them away from that association with smoking. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, possibly. Although I looked, I looked at some of the names of the companies that, that sell these things as well. You know, they're not the, the names of the company is not. This is something boring to help smokers give up. You know, one of the names I come across, the company that sells this stuff, is called Totally Wicked. Again, it, this is not aimed at boring fifty-five-year-old people, is it? This is aimed at younger people. Well, uh, well, actually, talked... oh, sorry. Go ahead, Louise. Either, either of you. Tell me I'm wrong, please. I've, I've, I've talked to many of these, you know, what you call grizzled 50, you know, plus year old um, smokers. They, they, they love the products. They love the flavours. Um, they, they often start with a tobacco flavour, thinking that's probably what they'd like best. But they very quickly transition onto, um, you know, especially fruit flavours, fruit and dessert flavours. And, you know, I've had uh, women clients say that they've actually eaten less you know they haven't finished the meal with a pudding because they'd have a, a um you know a sweet flavored vape and and so they're quite pleased that this time when they stopped smoking they didn't put on weight um so it's it's absolutely appropriate to make it as appealing as possible to adult smokers and old smokers as well you know we we, we saw plenty of people who were in their 60s and 70s even you know who got long-term conditions respiratory conditions and they love those cute little flavors well, that, that's I'm, I'm glad about that. So anyway, based on this, when I, I saw these names, I thought I'd better do a little bit more digging. So admittedly, this is not a scientific survey, but on the school run this morning, I thought I'd talk to my 16-year-old daughter who's in, in the lower sixth. Uh, she, she, there are 30 children in her year. And so I asked her how many of them she'd reckon had tried vaping. And she said, oh, I'm pretty sure about 20 of them have which kind of alarmed me. So I said, all right, well, how many of them might do that regularly now? And she said, well, 10 of them definitely will. And, and then I asked, well, and how many of those have probably never smoked? So admittedly, she didn't really know, but she said, well, probably about five. And then unprompted, she said, well, yeah, they're like sweets. So I, I would, that kind of alarmed me. And then again, without prompting, she said, on the buses that sometimes we use for school trips, there are ads for vaping on the back of the seats. So 
So with all that in mind, you know, what, what are you doing to stop children liking these things called fizz, super sweets, you know, future juice? You know, you, uh, hopefully you will be doing something to try and deter children uh, from trying these things. In the UK, we've got some of the most stringent regulation on selling to uh, underage young yeah. people. You've got adverts um, on the back of seats on buses they're sitting on on school trips. But the, the adverts um, are, again, strictly regulated. They're not allowed to show young people vaping. It's, it's a name. Um, and, you know, that there are no images that, that can, you know, also attract young people. And Action on Smoking and Health survey this regularly and, you know, consistently year after year demonstrate that amongst never smoking young people, there is no significant rise in the number of, of regular vapours. Uh, well, you know, judging a bit by of my daughter's that, experience, it ain't working. As you said, she's well, you know, it, it's not a scientific experiment. She's no, she's not. guessing in answering you. Um, it's a and, typical typical teenager, though. I, I I I don't know. I mean, admittedly, well, yeah, it's, it, it is an N of one, uh, but it is my daughter, and she's she's pretty savvy. Well, actually, if you if you look at Action for Smoking and Health numbers as well as the NHS. Uh, numbers, you're looking at around about 1% uh, to 1.6% of young people um, actually vape in the UK. And as Louise said, most of those were previously smoking. Um, and I think they also did a survey last year looking at whether young people thought that vaping was cool. Um, and again, less than 1% of those responding um, thought the vaping was was a cool thing to do. Um, now, I'm sure in certain areas and certain regions of the country, it may fluctuate, um, but these products are designed for adults. It, it's illegal in this country for any retailer to sell a vaping product to anybody under the age of 18, and there's a, a huge fines if they're caught doing that. And these are extremely stringent rules um, that have been set up for the likes of alcohol, and for tobacco products, and they also relate, as we said, to vaping products as well. I, I, I really, really want you guys to be right, <laughs> um, because I do agree that vaping can help grizzled old smokers quit, but I do think they seem really attractive to some teenagers, and that is totally my experience at the moment with a, with a teenage daughter. So I, I really want to be completely and totally wrong. A I think moment. you can be assured that this, this is something that is, is taken very seriously by both industry, um, local government, national government and health. It's, it's, it's seen as, as a very important issue to keep an eye on. Um, it has to be remembered, though, that, that, that you know, there are young people who smoke. They start smoking at the age of 10, 11. Now, if some of them switch to vaping uh, instead of killing themselves with a, a you know a, a smoked product that will you know cause early disease and death um, then it's 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 doing a good thing especially when you think that those young people who uh, start smoking early often have mental health problems um, other substance use you know they could be using cannabis and we hear from young people who who say that um, they use a vape instead of using cannabis now that's a public health win uh, yes, I wonder, I wonder what the N is there. My N was one. I, I, I suspect it's not a massive 
sample. But I, yeah, I, I, I am. I totally want this you completely to be right. I, re I really do. Um, perhaps if other people are listening and thinking, right, uh, well, two two things really. I am a smoker and I want to stop, and I would like to see if I can get some help from vaping and your and your app uh, to to help me, which is you know a very laudable thing to help people uh, stopping smoking. Um, where can I get more info on that? And also, uh, this is probably from John. From John, where can people get more info ab about some of the topics we've been talking about? About you know, if they're worried about their children vaping or the potential of their children vaping, those sorts of things as well. well a couple of good resources of info. Okay, I'll go first, shall I? People who want to use the Smoke Free app should go to the App Store, search for Smoke Free, it's two separate words, and look for the green heart. And you can download it straight from the App Store. And there's a free version that people can get some, some basic help with. And uh, you can upgrade to the full version if you want to talk to the advisors uh, and get uh, you know, many, many other features that will help you in your Smoke Free journey. Okay, excellent. And and then info on, about vaping and kind of what the industry is doing to stop children picking it up, keeping teenagers off it, and actually aiming at smokers who are, are wanting to give up. Absolutely. We have a huge amount of resources that uh, people can use. And if you go to ukvia.co.uk, you'll find all of the information there. Um, if you need further information, feel free to, to reach out to us. Um, but if you're looking for advice, I think, on vaping products, the best place to go is your local vape store. Um, these guys uh, know what they're talking about. Uh, they're highly trained in the devices that they, they provide, and they can really match a, a smoker with the proper device that's going to work best for them. Okay, right. Excellent. Louise? And John, thank you very much indeed for uh, chatting. And uh, I will put those um, websites on my blog so people can uh, find them if they if they miss them during this. So uh, so many thanks. Thank you. Okay. No thank Bye. you. Thank you very much to my guests on this week's show, and they were Steve Pyre from Spin, Louise Ross from Smoke Free, the app to help you give up smoking, and John Dunn, the Director General, UKVIA. And of course, thank you to you. For listening. That was the Relaxed Back UK show with me, Mike Dill. Thank you for listening and please do join us again next time.